Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Hey everyone. Uh, If you've been tuning in to our summer Sunday services already, you probably know the drill by now. We're looking at a series of metaphors uh, that the Bible uses to describe Christians to help us understand a little bit more what it's like to follow Jesus. And so far we've looked at different images. We've looked at Christians as salt, uh, as light, as yeast, as a body. And today we have a different image. It's a very different kind of image, actually, because in the Bible, the followers of Jesus are described as foreigners, as foreigners. I assume you'll know what that word means, but it can seem like a bit of a strange word to apply to Christians. So today, as we've been doing each week, I'm going to try to spend the time explaining uh, what this means when it's referred to Christians in the Bible. But as we've been doing a lot in this series, we're going to, I'm going to start by handing it over to you guys to see what you think. But to help you out, before you go, so you don't go up any kind of cul-de-sacs here, uh, or not too many anyway, I'd like to give you a whole load of other related words, the different translations of the Bible, will give to help us with this term. So we're called foreigners, but other words that are used in a similar way are strangers or aliens, nomads, sojourners, resident aliens, temporary residents, visiting strangers or exiles. So in your gatherings, if you'd like, press the pause button in a moment and you can discuss in your groups how you think these words might apply to us as Christians. Off you go. So how then are we to understand this image? Well, I'm sure you've come up with all sorts of brilliant ideas, but what I'd like to do is to focus on a few Bible passages that seem to set the context of this image and also show us how we're supposed to live in light of the fact that we're temporary residents and foreigners here on earth. Now, the key idea I think we need to get our head around to understand this image as God's people uh, as foreigners is the image of exile. And it's really important to realise that first and foremost, when the Bible refers to God's people as foreigners in the term of terms of exiles, it's not a metaphor at all. It's actually a lived experience. Exiles are foreigners, aren't they? Exiles are people who have had to leave their homeland for one reason or another, and they find themselves living in a different place, often in a completely different culture, um, with no way of getting home, uh, at least in the short term anyway. And in the Old Testament, the people of Israel found themselves in this precise situation. So first of all, let's look at Israel in exile. This is what happened. The people of Israel started their lives as a nation as slaves in Egypt. You know, may well know the story of Moses and Pharaoh, the prince of Egypt, all that sort of thing. And if you do know those stories, you'll know that through a series of miraculous interventions, uh, God kind of took them out of slavery and brought them out of Egypt and brought them towards uh, the promised land, to the land of, of Canaan, a new place for them to settle. And after all sorts of adventures, they eventually do settle in the promised land in Canaan, and that land becomes known as the uh, the nation state of Israel. However, in this nation, uh, the people do not follow the God that rescued them out of slavery. They worship lots of other gods and other idols and they behave in all sorts of ways that uh, the God of the Bible does not want them to live. And that has terrible consequences. The first consequence would be this, that soon after uh, the nation of Israel splits into two, into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom in the Old Testament is just called Israel. The southern kingdom is known as Judah. 
So that's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is that the northern kingdom, Israel, they continue uh, rebelling against God. And eventually the Assyrian Empire comes in and wipes the whole lot of them out, leaving just the remnant, Judah in the south uh, as the the remnant of the people of God. But then tragically, uh, even Judah falls and that's to the Babylonian uh, Empire. The Babylonians sweep in in 586 uh, BC. And uh, this time, uh, rather than wiping them out, they take the people who are living in Judah and they exile them en masse. So they go, they deport them and they send them over to live in Babylon where they literally find themselves living in exile. And a, a portion of the Old Testament is given over to speaking to the Israelites as they are in exile. And we see, as we see those passages, the kind of challenges they faced living in such a state as like temporary residents and foreigners within Babylon. Now, I probably don't need to tell you this, but ancient Babylon was a very different type of culture to Israel. Babylon has become proverbial, even in our day and age, as a, as a place of wickedness and evil. And their culture was very, very cruel and it did not follow the sort of morality that Jewish culture did. I mean, far from it, actually. Therefore, one of the main challenges for the Israelites in exile was to resist the temptation of that culture to live just like it, to maintain their distinctiveness as God's people, as Israel. But what might surprise you a bit more than that was that as they did that, God didn't want them to foster kind of an opposition and hostility towards this culture that had basically kidnapped their whole nation. Now, this is what God tells the people through the prophet Jeremiah. He tells them, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. God wanted them to actively serve their new homeland, the place where they were living in exile. So therefore, for the Jewish exiles living about kind of half a millennium before Jesus, their life as temporary residents and foreigners was meant to be a life of maintaining their distinctives. Yes, but not in opposition to their present culture in service to it. But you see, as the story goes on, just as uh, God had freed his people from slavery in Israel many years before, he did the same to them in the place of exile. And about 70 years after they were taken into exile, actually, the, the rulers of Babylon had a change of heart and they decided to send all the people back to Israel. Fantastic! As they went, came back in drips and drabs, but eventually uh, a large number of the Israelites back in uh, Israel, in Jerusalem, uh, it seemed that everyone was delighted because the exile was over. Fantastic! Or was it over? There's a problem they found as they returned to Israel because they were back in their homeland. But in a sense, their homeland wasn't theirs anymore. As I'm sure you can imagine, Israel as a nation is significantly weakened. And so that meant that actually they were at the whim of whatever political power happened to rule their region at that time. So after this, for a while, the Persians take control of Israel. Then the Greeks under Alexander the Great, you might have heard of him. The Egyptians step in, the Syrians for a while. There is a brief period where the, where the Israelites take control of their own nation again, but it's only very brief because then the Romans step in and they take control. And that brings us kind of up to the time of Jesus. And so the question that's running through the Jewish community, uh, just even before Jesus was born, was, are we still in exile or are we not? Because we're living in our own country, but it's like we're foreigners and strangers even here. And so when Jesus comes and the church is born, actually the first Christians lean into this image of exile, but they give it a quite a different flavour. 
They talk about themselves, the first Christians, as temporary residents and foreigners, but not looking backwards and seeking their, seeing their identity in like a, a country they once lived in. No, not looking backwards, but looking forwards and identifying themselves with a country that they saw themselves as citizens of, even though they'd never actually lived there, because, but they believed that one day they would inhabit that place. This is really well summed up in a passage in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, I'll, I'll read what the author writes. He says this, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. Now, who's he writing about here? Well, actually, he's looking back to the heroes of the Old Testament, at least some of them, Abel, uh, Noah, Abraham. And this is what he goes on to say about them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were what? Foreigners and nomads here on earth. There we have our word again. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. Not looking back, but looking forward. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Can you see? It's very similar to what you've already seen. The people of God are presented as foreigners like the Israelites in Babylon, but they're not looking back at a country that they once called home. They're looking forward to a new country, a heavenly homeland, it says, that they understood as their true home, even though they'd never actually been there before. But how did you live then as a foreigner who has never even visited their homeland before? Well, let's look at one final passage, which goes into a little bit more detail on this one. Let's turn our attention to 1 Peter 2, verses 8 to 12. And I'm going to explain as I go along. This is written uh, by the uh, Jesus disciple Peter um, to Christians living in ancient Turkey. And this is what he writes. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result... You can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Can you link that with what we've already seen to see what Peter is doing? He's writing here to Jewish and Gentile Christians, those who, who are from the people of Israel and Gentile just means those who aren't. And there was a whole mixture in the, among the Christian churches that he was writing to. And he's, he's saying to them this, he's saying, you have a new identity. Once, he says, you had no identity as a people at all. Now, that doesn't mean that they had no culture or no homeland that they affiliated themselves with. No, it meant that whatever cultural identity they had pales into insignificance compared to what they now have in Jesus. Because now... As followers of Jesus, they have been brought into the very family of God and they have a completely new identity. They are citizens of a different kingdom. They serve a different king. They are God's people. But they still obviously have to live here on planet Earth. And as I said, for these specific Christians, that would be in ancient Turkey. So what does living as God's heavenly people while still on Earth look like? Should they walk around shaking their heads at the filthy non-Christians they have to put up with until Jesus returns? No, not at all. Remember what it said, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Well, what does that mean? You might already have some remembrances from Jeremiah 29, but you know what? Hold that thought. Let's see what Peter says next. He goes on. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. There's our phrase to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Okay, well, as we saw with the people of Israel, these people, these foreigners, 
Christians as foreigners need to maintain their distinctiveness as well and, and they need to dis- maintain the disti- difference from the culture around them. This is vital for temporary residents and foreigners or you just become so at home you lose, lose who you actually are. As people who belong to a heavenly homeland whose citizenship is in a city that God has prepared for them, well they are different to the people who are simply of this world and they're to live differently. We used to be like that. Every single one of us who's a Christian, we used to be like that. But when we came to follow Jesus, we moved from, as Peter puts it, from the darkness to the light. That's what Peter says in verse 9 anyway. Paul puts it slightly differently in his letter to the Colossians. He says that we were taken from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's beloved son. This isn't actually just presented in the Bible as a change of citizenship. Actually, it's presented as an inner transformation as well. Jesus talked about his followers as being born again when they came uh, to, to trust him with their lives. Paul writes it slightly differently, but exactly the same idea when he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. As Christians, we are supposed to live differently to the world around us. There's no other way to put it. Today's image highlights this, living as foreigners. We have a different culture to those who we live with who aren't Christians. We have a different set of expectations, a different set of values to how we should live. When Jesus described his followers as salt, an image we used a few weeks ago, you might have spotted this. Because in that passage, he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavour? What's his point? His point is this, we can only make a difference in the world if we are different from the world. And so one of the main things, as this passage says, that we need to do to live as temporary residents and foreigners is to keep away from worldly desires. Now, just to be clear, this doesn't mean just being completely contrary and being like the opposition in the House of Commons who just say the opposite of what what the other parties say all the time just for the sake of it. Now, there are many good things in in every human culture, including ours, that we would share with our friends and our neighbours and we push into those things. However, if we take a look at ourselves uh, in one of our more lucid moments and conclude that actually we're pretty much the same as everyone else around us in every single way... I suggest that alarm bells should start ringing as to whether we're really living out our Christian lives in the way that God would want us to. I mean, what are worldly desires we should keep from? I'm sure there'd be loads and loads and there'd be different ones for each of us in different places. But I could give a, a, a start of a list of things that I think the Bible would teach us on this that are kind of uh, in our culture today that we'd want to be very different from. I think we want to keep away from desires like the desire for money and possessions. The desire for comfort and leisure as ends in themselves. The desire for power and prestige. Or how about the desire for sexual fulfilment outside of a married relationship? Let's do a little thought experiment to drive this home a little. Let's imagine that one of your friends who wasn't a Christian but who lives in in Birmingham uh, uh, about about now uh, was allowed to closely observe you for the next month. And on top of just observing you, spying on you, they were given access to a whole load of private documents too. Let's imagine they could see your bank statement, for example. They could see how you used your money. And let's imagine they got to be a fly on the wall when you externally processed about your five-year plan or even about your whole life's ambitions. Let's imagine that they eavesdropped on your conversations with your boss about your career plans and how you wanted to advance in your career. Imagine they could even eavesdrop your conversations about your boss. That might also be in the mix here too. And also... Uh, thrown into the whole mix, they got to see your internet search history, 
too. And they also got to spy on your dates with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. What would their response be? I wonder if you think about that and you think, well, actually, probably they wouldn't really bat an eyelid. They wouldn't be that surprised. They'd be like, yeah, pretty, pretty standard, pretty few differences in regards to taste or personal preferences, but nothing hugely different to, to what I would do. Would that be their response? Or would their response be very different? Would they be absolutely amazed? Would they actually be quite concerned about you? Because your generosity, your servant-heartedness, your purity, your focus on serving others and not advancing yourself was so radical and so completely out of the box. They'd be asking things like, is this person for real? Are they from a different planet to me? That's exactly the image that Peter's using. That's exactly Peter's expectation of a follower of Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, some translations actually translate the word foreigner as alien. <laughs> and they don't mean it in the sense we would. But I think that very much would communicate to us what the flavour of this is. We're meant to live like we're off from a different planet. And then Peter goes on. This is what he says next. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbours. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honourable behaviour and they will give honour to God when he judges the world. I wonder if that rings any bells from things we've seen already. Remember how uh, Peter said just a few, a few uh, minutes ago, uh, because of this, you can show others the goodness of God. Remember what Jeremiah said about, hey, serve the prosperity of your city. Well, it says a kind of similar thing here. And this is the flip side of the keep away from worldly desires. Yes, we're supposed to be different, but we're not supposed to be separate. We're not meant to be snooty and judgmental and keep ourselves to ourselves. Where do we live as foreigners? We live among our unbelieving neighbours. That is so important. Exactly the same point as Jesus was making in his image when he talked about the kingdom of God as yeast. If you listen to the talk I did a couple of weeks ago on that one, you might remember the image of, of the woman mixing in or working in or hiding the yeast inside the dough, in the very heart of the dough. The yeast needs to be embedded in the heart of the dough if it's to influence the whole batch of dough. The same is being said exactly here. We may be temporary residents and foreigners, but we're not to live as expats. We get stuck into our communities. We make friends. We get involved in people's lives and we let them get involved in ours. And what do we do when we live among our unbelieving neighbours? Well, we live properly. Our behaviour should be honourable. So what does this look like? Well, it surely involves all the things I've already said about keeping away from worldly desires. That's how you live properly and how you, you behave in an honourable way. But it's a slightly different flavour. It involves something very different as well. If you're to read on in 1 Peter 2, which I very much recommend uh, you do, Peter goes on to explain exactly what he's thinking of when he tells these Christians that they should live properly. And it might be not be exactly what you'd expect. It's, it's not defined by keeping away or abstaining or saying no. Actually, it's about doing the little things well. That's what he encouraged them to do, to live properly. If you read on, he, he first of all, he encouraged them to be good citizens, to obey the law and respect the authorities to be good workers, and even if their bosses are, are mean or even cruel to them, to keep on doing the best job respectfully uh, at their workplaces. He encourages them to be good and patient and loving and understanding husbands, and the same as wives. And finally, he enforces to them the key word of all this, to love, love people in the church community, love people outside the church community. 
so sad when you see Christians who grab hold of images like uh, this image of foreigners and, and aliens and strangers and they really do apply it by living like expats or even Brits abroad in the, in the places they live in. They keep themselves distant from the people around them. And when they do come out from their bunkers, they give off such an air of arrogance and judgment that people want absolutely nothing to do with them. That is not what this image means at all. My encouragement to all of us at Church Central South would be we should live as foreigners, as temporary residents, as aliens, as exiles. And yes, it should mean that we live differently to others, but we should do that among our unbelieving neighbours, loving them and respecting them. So they would see our honourable behaviour that flows from the heavenly citizenship that Jesus has bought for us and given to us by his grace. And ultimately, they come to honour God when he judges the world, you know, hopefully a good deal before that too. So as we've done before, I've got some questions uh, for you to think about in groups if, if you're gathering in groups. But before that, I'd really like to pray for all of us in our church that we grip hold of this. So if, uh, if you're able to, why don't you uh, close your eyes, block out distractions uh, and do business with God now. I'm going to leave a, a space for you just to process quietly what's been said. Uh, and then I want to pray for you, okay? Lord Jesus, my King, I ask you that we would live as faithful citizens of your kingdom. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've won us, you've bought us, you've changed us. We are not better than anyone. Once we were, we were had no identity as a people, now we're the people of God. And Lord, I ask you that we could live in humility and servant-heartedness, both within our church community and also outside of it that others would see our lives and they'd be drawn to not to ourselves, but to Jesus, the one who's changed us, that they can honour you, Lord, uh, in our day and age and join us as foreigners and temporary residents and exiles here. Lord, stoke our hope in the, in the homeland that we've never seen before, but that you're calling us towards, which is defined by you. Come to us, Holy Spirit, and own these words and dig them deep into our hearts so they change us, Lord, I pray. Amen.